Welcome along to the football show here on Off the Ball. Latest in the Champions League qualifiers last round before the group stages. Dinamo Zagreb have turned it round against Bodo Glimt of Norway. It is Zagreb leading by two goals to nil at home. They are now ahead 3-2 on aggregate. It is still two apiece between PSV and Rangers. In Eindhoven is nil-nil on the night, but two all from the first leg. And it is still FC Copenhagen who are ahead as the second half gets underway in Turkey. Trabzonspor nil, FC Copenhagen nil, uh, but the Danish champions lead 2-1 on aggregate from the first leg. So there's still all to play for in all three of the games that are on tonight. Delighted to say Dan McDonnell is here with me. Dan, how are you going on? Evening well, how are you? I'm good. We're going to be talking with the Europa League qualifiers uh, with Shamrock Rovers and in all likelihood, Conference League group stages yeah. for Shamrock Rovers after last week. You were over in Hungary. I was, yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's a sort of a strange one that, um, I think I mentioned it once or twice since, that Really big game, huge atmosphere, like great stadium, really big atmosphere of a big European night. Like I love these games. I love this time of year. Like you have these really meaningful games where you sort of go to parts of the world that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise go to. You wouldn't be too aware of the football culture there, and you realise you know the power of the sort of the global game is such that um, in this country this is a, a really big deal. And uh, there was twenty plus thousand people or whatever it was in the stadium, um, and. I mean, listen, they 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 hammered Rovers, you know, they really did. Like, I mean, definitely mistakes were made, but it was a it was a comprehensive first leg defeat. But the weird thing about it is, you know, you cover a lot of those games, and you're probably used to this whole post match, you know, desolation or uh, you know people really down, and this whole sense of we'll come again next year, and that's almost that feel around it. And of course, it wasn't like that because they have this competition in the back pocket. Um, which might be a better fit for them at this time. Um, it's where they can definitely now, as of today, play their home games, which they know that. And financially, the difference between the Europa League and the Europa Conference League is, okay, 700 grand more in the Europa League, possibly more in terms of market share and other things and potentially higher profile ties um, that you could have maybe drawn a... Uh, a glamour team that might have filled the Aviva although other games in the Aviva you'd wonder um, would it have worked out but I mean effectively getting four points in the Conference League a uh, win and a draw covers that gap and I mean there's a possibility that Rovers will be third seeds in the Conference League now there's still some good teams in that pot four but there's also some not so great teams that would make the opportunity to accumulate that money not that far fetched. So there was obviously disappointment that they probably didn't do as well as they thought they might have, and nobody likes being beaten well, you know. And there's obviously personal pride that comes with that, but there wasn't that whole sense of this is some kind of crisis here. There was, and and there was even in the second half there was substitutions and and changes that were made, you know, which, game the which are reflective of a yeah. team, yeah, that has other things on their mind. Um, so not quite your uh, all or nothing European tie. Yeah, and I guess you know when Stephen Bradley was confirming the day before the game, we knew they were going to have a lengthy injury list. But when he confirmed that the lads were after the Derry game, particularly like Graham Burke is not going to recover in yeah. time. You have seven first team players who were unavailable for the first leg against Fernvaros. Like realistically, that made it very difficult for them even before they stepped out in the field. That did, and I mean, like you need everything to go right to compete with those teams. Like absolutely everything. Like a sort of a you know a Irish club trying to compete with that needs to be at a hundred percent. And if you're not, it's 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 tough. And particularly, you know, Jack Byrne was able to come and play in the second half. 
uh, Graham Burke wasn't available at all both of those have played for Ireland and both of those I think you would probably speak to people who've been around Ireland squads with them um, they certainly would never say there was anything about them where they'd be found wanting technically say and in those European games the ability to have those players who can um, hold the ball for a bit and, and play things a bit quicker and, and or whatever you need at that point in time is invaluable and you can see in their campaigns this year and, and in previous years the impact that those players have so there's a lot of reasons why it didn't work out now I still think you know, Ferran Traoré at full tilt. I think it would have been very hard for a full tilt Shamrock Rovers to to really trouble them um, properly. But they would have done better. But it's completely different when you have something. You have you have this security. Like they know already. Like this. I know the Champions League draws tomorrow. Um, but the like this is the draw time of the year. You know, it's it's it can be a time if you're sort of covering the game here where you're sort of looking at w- once you've had the taste of it. Once like Shamrock Rovers got into it in 2011, which was a real eye opener. It was it was brilliant. You know, and the 2016 and Dock one was was better because they were sort of competing. You know, they got they got a sort of a win and a draw early on. Um, once you've had a little bit of taste of 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 being around that. And covering it like those those years where there's no Irish team involved in the group stage draw is pretty grim because you're looking at the teams that are in it and they're generally the sides you might have seen in the qualifying rounds. So the fact that Rovers are going to be in that on Friday, they're going to have six more games, they're going to have three more trips to plan, and 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 all that comes with that um, is a good thing. So um, yeah, it's I think they've sold over they've still sold over six thousand tickets for the game tomorrow. They say um, against Farnsworth, even though. Being honest, it's a bit of a dead rubber, and it's not really um, that important. Um, but I suppose you know this is still something you can enjoy as well too. Some the significance of being able to yeah. use Tallis Stadium now for the group stage. I was saying to Richie on the news round earlier that Rovers very tactically put in if if we're playing in the group stage yeah. of the Conference League. And, you know, five goals might well happen yeah. uh, on Thursday night, but. Um, let's take it they're playing in the Conference League how much of a boost is it for them to be able to use Tala for this because given the type of opposition that they're playing I would think the Tala would suit a lot better than having to rent out the Aviva yeah and listen it's just I mean the Aviva just doesn't work I mean the Bowes and the Aviva was brilliant but they were also test events as well too um, and sort of financially I think they were helped with some of the costs like Rovers would have a little bit of the stress of the cost and also like home advantage is home advantage. Like they're they're getting good crowds in Tallinn now. Now it's not as if Tallinn is one of these rickety places where like they let the grass grow long and and you know the dressing rooms are tight in the way that we might traditionally associate Irish home advantage like the old Lansdowne or something like that. Mm. I mean it's actually a good surface to go and play in. Um, you know the, the dressing rooms are absolutely fine. You know it's a it's a sort of a nice experience for as you for see Rangers probably should have scored as they hit oh. the stanchion um, away from home against PSV. It was one of those kind of shots that was taken right from the edge of the box uh, the ball had come back out um, Rangers kind of recycled possession a little bit and then a speculative enough effort it's come back off the crossbar and bounced clear so it's still PSV nil Rangers nil Yeah but just to go back to the Tala point I mean this year in Europe they, they, uh, they've they got they've won all three of their home games in Tala last year um, they beat Slovan Bratislava in Tala having lost away okay the floor Talon won um, that was a disappointing one at home um, but the damage was done away again like their home legs go back even 2019 uh, they they beat Brand from Norway and they actually beat a Pallon Limassol of Cyprus at home and, and lost that after extra time away so like they, they have an ability just to, to they, they, they know 
the confines of Tallow well they, they, there's a proper home advantage there like it's a good arena it's get, it'll be even better next year when the fourth side is done um, and it's, it's a place where it's home and there's no there's no sense of you know we're, here we are out of our comfort zone or you know looking around the stadium and thinking you know getting caught up in something it's, it's almost like a pure focus on the event the match and looking at the Conference League if they end up in it of course as per the official lingo and the type of teams you'll play I mean there'll be some there who will of course be you know far superior in most ways Um, but in saying that like there isn't necessarily a massive amount of say glamour teams that are going to be attracting like neutrals around Dublin to go sorry that will have a fan base here that will be going to watch them if you know what I mean it's not the same that, as the Arsenal Dundalk situation no, if Dundalk have been able to use the yeah, stadium if, it would have filled exactly it would have been like people there like it'll be a proper like with the exception of the sort of away allocation they have to do it'll be all home fans there properly behind um, properly behind Rovers and I think they've got a chance of uh, doing some damage there the approach then do Rovers try and go out and get something out tomorrow put in a really good performance Especially given their result from last weekend too, which maybe eased the pressure at the top a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like for the sake of the the, the beloved League of Ireland coefficient, it would be great if they did the something. All important coefficient. It's, it's all about the ninety-minute results, the coefficients. That's the thing. It, it's of no benefit to Rovers really a ninety-minute result, but the league in general, it's a bit better for the league if they got a, a positive result in the ninety minutes. I, I don't know what way they really approach it. Like they have a big game and draw it on Sunday, a cup match. Like it sickened them that they weren't in the Aviva last year. You know, with that that brilliant sort of first post COVID final, Bows, Pats, whatever was there, thirty seven thousand. Rovers would feel as the preeminent team at the moment. They should have been a part of that, and they weren't. Uh, and how they ended up not in it was losing a cup game on a Sunday, three days after uh, a European tie on a Thursday at this exact corresponding stage. So, and they've also lost a draw this season, which is a tough place to go um, so I I think um, you'll see them hold back some of their frontline players tomorrow but also in saying that as well too I think there's a sense of I think there has to be a bit of pride and a bit of momentum and a lot of all these factors uh, pointing towards it that I, I don't think they're just going to go out and accept the situation um, it's just that it's not going to be in the second half even if they're I know drawing the, the the game in the night. I can't see them sort of keeping players on. They would like to, you know, replace in other circumstances or something. I think what it might be is a chance to give Jack Burns some minutes. I think which would be good because he's getting his way back towards full fitness and he's going to be so important for them in the uh, in the European piece. And also some of their younger players are going to be involved as well too. Um, the two seventeen-year-olds, Justin Ferrazoy and Gideon Tete, who come on last week. I see Rangers have scored. We got that Antonio second because Lynn yeah. just put the ball in the net as but, Dan was speaking there. Uh, PSV been kind of living dangerously in the last few minutes while I was uh, looking across the table at the TV, and Rangers have got the ball in the net. Um, it was very, very poor defending by PSV, who decided uh, to try and play out from the back. It wasn't a particularly good pass back to the goalkeeper. And one of their centre backs gets caught in possession. The ball is squared back to Kolak, who initially had uh, pressed on the goalkeeper and he was there to apply the finish so Rangers could potentially uh, be going back into the group stage of the Champions League still a long time left Dan but that's a big lift for them oh yeah it's the type of goal that a lot of the traditionalists attending football matches in Ireland 
despise you know just just get it get the ball out PSV like none of that fancy stuff that allows you to build play and like is how you it was what your identity just just get rid of it every time you concede a goal like that it's like just get rid of it now there isn't there is an argument when there's two or three Rangers players who were buzzing around that the goalkeeper probably should have put his no no I I do take your point genuinely but I mean it's just it is the type of goal that people will shake their head and go the game's gone you know the game's completely gone and if it costs PSV the Champions League no doubt there'll be a a, a lengthy debate in Dutch football circles about that but um, I think the debate might go back to their goalkeeper letting in that free kick in the first leg yeah, I think two the, horror goals to concede yeah no they've certainly um, they've helped Rangers back into this I mean Rangers like Rangers have honestly like their European results since they've got back into it um, from Gerrard through to sort of from Bronckhurst I mean they have been really good like I mean they've 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 basically lifted. You talk about the coefficient. Like all the other Scottish clubs are basically just they're sort of riding shotgun off the back of Celtic and Rangers, and they're coming into competitions later and you know getting into some group stages. Even though they're collectively the other ones are doing absolutely terribly. You know, like Motherwell. Motherwell did not do too well. Motherwell were a disaster. Dundee United conceded seven against AZ Alkmaar, but I see Hearts um, are guaranteed to be in one of the groups without having played any qualifiers other than the one they're playing at the moment against Zurich. Just before uh, Zurich. I get shot, yeah. um, Arthur O'Dea, producer on the programme, is behind the glass at the moment, Sligar over supporter. He's going to take massive exception, I can feel from here, with us saying that Motherwell did terribly in Europe. Even though Motherwell sacked their coach at the end of it as well, Arthur, I still give all credit to Sligo beating them over the two legs. Listen, they did. I mean, I mean, and I, I, I mean, there was nothing more, wo- there's nothing more wonderful than this, the Scots getting carried away. And like, they, they, I think there was a, there was a definitely a sort of a portion of Scottish football commentary that thought like that. You know, the Sligo Rovers lads weren't just playing on the game that day, but the following morning they were sweeping the streets and mm. working as firemen or policemen or whatever, because that's what they said. I mean, it's not the case at all. Um, but I mean, Motherwell did do pretty poorly in the sense that they they were knocked out without scoring a goal, and that would be in keeping with a lot of the Scottish performances in Europe, apart from Celtic and Rangers, who have just like, suddenly made Scotland like a much better ranked league than the uh, the strength of a lot of the teams in the mid part complete tangent yeah um, look, I, I think to Rangers credit as well if the penalty shootout goes definitely they're in the group stage of the Champions League on the back of winning the Europa last year yeah so. yeah no no they, they I mean they, they there's no doubt that the two of them have hit a pretty pretty high bar but just the one last thing tomorrow like the, 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 the one thing that could be beneficial or, or that you remember the tie for I mean and also Ronan Finn and must be said as well as is, is equaling the appearance record for um, a League of Ireland player in European competition so it's his 54th appearance in Europe which puts him level with Gary Rogers which is like a career spanning um, being in the Rovers squad in the group stages in 2011 the Dundalk one in 2016 when he's at 54 now he's he's going to probably get to I mean he could get to 60 this year if he plays in all the group games and it's sort of an extraordinary career um, you know for someone who's basically had a little bit in Cambridge when he was younger barely even counts but it's had an amazing career at home. Um, but he'll be on the pitch tomorrow. That'll be momentous. But they'll also have, you know, lads half his age, Justin Farazai, Gideon Tete, as I mentioned. Um, like Farazai is 17. Um, he's one of these who turns 18 next year and will probably um, will probably go to a, a very good club and is one of the sort of the, the Brexit players, you know, the post-Brexit players that you can see them play at home here. He is one of the best players of his generation and he gets to play in a game like this at home before almost inevitably moving on next year to like a, a pretty good club somewhere. Yeah, football is brought to us here on the Football Show with thanks to Sky. Get all your football, which you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sports and Premier Sports. EFL Cup was on last night. 
And maybe this is a measure of where Republic of Ireland football is at, that we get excited about the Love EFL the Cup, Cup Tuesdays. Because yeah. we've got so many of our players playing. It's it's probably for Stephen Kenny and his management team a pretty crucial week to actually scout his players. Yeah, and I mean Evan Ferguson also involved tonight for Brighton too. Um and, and one or two others. I saw Leo Connor like was involved in creating a goal for Tranmere against Newcastle. But yeah, last night there was a couple of things going on. You've Adam Ida making his comeback and scoring. Um Probably, you know, Ed McGinty was involved, ex Sligar Rovers, of course, um, uh, who departed before the Motherwell win, um, but he's now at Oxford. He was playing last night. Killian Phillips from Drada, who I remember going to see Killian Phillips early in lockdown or early when football restarted after lockdown, speaking to a couple of people at Drada, and they were like, we're throwing a fella in for his debut today. I think he could be a good player. Killian Phillips, and pretty much a, over a year later, he's starting a game for Crystal Palace. Um, having been involved in games against Liverpool in pre-season like his rise is it's an incredible one he was playing Leinster Senior I think with Kilbarrick a couple of years ago or training with them so that's a great story but then probably one of the more headline grabbing ones would be Dawson Devoy and, and Dara Burns um, who combined for who, who one, combined for for one of the goals for MK Dons um, who, who beat Watford probably a big one for Devoy in that and that he'd been at Watford as a kid and, and sort of suffered a bit of homesickness or whatever reason just didn't wasn't for him and um, he, he came home and there you see them sort of for him it's a second coming maybe in the UK Burns is again one of the newer breed who came through all the ranks here at home 17s 19s League of Ireland and you know excellent here last year into that cup final last November and then you see him last night scoring and making an assist or so you know assisting a goal now I mean both of them like Devoy certainly he was being offered the clubs as a loan option when he went over to MK Dons but is now very much in their squad so he's probably maybe even better than they thought he was I wonder or more ready than they thought he was um, Burns has been involved off the bench a couple of times in the league but it is good to see like I mean it's true that it's the EFL Cup but I think what you often will see at the start of the season is how certain teams use the EFL Cup. They might use it to put in a couple of players they like and then that's the platform for them to suddenly have a more sustained involvement in the in the coming weeks, you know, and I would certainly hope that would be the case with them. Yeah, it's crucial first team football for Evan Ferguson, he mentioned. Um, I was wondering if he was going to go out on loan or what yeah. they were going to do. He's, He's had young. a fairly rapid rise there though. Yeah, and he was on the bench I think 15 times last season and only played come on once and then he hasn't been on the bench in the early part of this season um, so it's it's hard to sort of read where things stand um, like sometimes clubs don't want to send players out on loan too early you know that they like to have them around the Brighton environment is meant to be an incredibly good one and they might want to wait a little bit longer and maybe you know Brighton are winning at the moment I think so like maybe the you know the cup competitions is a way of that involvement and, and maybe after Christmas or something you can send them out if there's no real cup opportunities to come so I'm not sure I mean I could be completely wrong on that but I mean he is one that everyone is waiting for um, and is excited about it's hard not to be excited hard not to he be, was such yeah. a physical specimen at such a young age especially yeah he's like he is he's got a lot going for him and you know he's powerful, but he's got good technique. Um, he's he's. You speak to people who've worked with him closely, and they would be very confident as well that sort of the mentality would be good as well too, which is important because we've seen sort of strikers come and go who maybe haven't. There've been question marks in that score that they don't seem to exist as regards him. So 
I don't know. Like I'm a little bit disappointed to see him on, you know, not making the squads for the opening games, and and I think he was involved in a one-two for their first goal tonight. Um, and it would be great to see him. Like there comes a point, like it's it's like the Quevin Kelleher thing or something. Like you, you eventually get to the stage where you don't want to be overtaken by someone lower than the, the the you know the pecking order who's just playing loads of football. But there's a balance there, and I'm not sure if there'll be a mad level of impatience from his side of things. Adam Ida, you mentioned, comes back. Horrific injury earlier this year. It came at a terrible time for him too because I think um, Norwich fans were really starting to enjoy the role that he was playing for the team and he was getting a bit of football just after Christmas. Then he gets injured, misses the rest of the season. And he's so important for the Republic of Ireland given that he was Stephen Kenny's linchpin number nine for pretty much all the start of his campaign. Ireland fans will be really hoping they get to run a games now. Yeah, like I think sometimes he's forgotten in the discussion around, say, you know, the people sort of sketch out their teams for the future and I know Femi was brilliant in the summer and Parrot now is suddenly starting to happen for Parrot like his performances for Preston seem good but I still think Ida is the one that will with a, with a sort of an injury free run he's the one I could see playing more games than anyone else um, in the longer run potentially maybe maybe Parrot's development is maybe might change that opinion but like he's very much the type of number nine that, that, that Kenny likes uh, and you see that and, and this was the faith he showed in him early early doors in terms of his career he put him in there and like the ceiling he hit with Norwich in the Premier League before his injury last year that sort of what four, five, six game run I wonder is that sort of the highest ceiling that any of those strikers have hit in terms of like playing well at Premier League level um, and, and looking like a real sort of threat and showing signs of development and I know he's done that playing in the front too as well um, at times we played for Ireland early on it would have been sort of as a um, you know a number nine and a 4-3-3 sort of with, with players either side so um, but there was always a feeling that like there's a lot more in him and he's had such a nightmare run with injuries and not being able to train at times for periods of time that you're he, maybe in some ways it suits that he's a forgotten man he'll slip under the radar but I think if he's fit and well in September uh, as in for the Ireland games at the mm. end of September um, he'd, be, he'd be pushing to go straight in I think Yeah and like Parrot can play over to the side or he can play in behind the striker if needed as well he Oh he can yeah have to be the number nine going through the middle No no definitely not I mean in fact we've seen with Parrot actually that his his better performances for Ireland probably have come, you know, uh, on that side or like playing off that and um, and about Preston, he's doing a bit of that too. I mean, Obafemi's clearly very talented and is mm. probably a natural scorer, but there's still a sense with him that you need to see him have a, an uninterrupted run as well. So it's almost like there's a little question mark hanging over all of them for various reasons. Killian Phillips, how good can he be? It's very hard to know. Um, very hard to know. Like, I think, I mean, talk about ceilings, like... He, Sometimes you'll have these players who'll come along and they haven't necessarily been mapped uh, at an underage level as being outstanding and they just take off, you know, because they're, they're just coming to the boil. Like, like he's someone who's been playing in midfield, but then at times at Drada he was played in defence and I think, you know, where he would sit into the modern game um, over time, like, is it in a midfield or is it in a defensive position? I think people would have maybe would debate around that but honestly I don't know I, I honestly like I find it very hard to, to to judge because he's only probably now like to draw the setup that he was in 
and it's not to be disparaging about it, but they're speaking about it themselves at the moment about maybe you know needing to go that they're one of the few clubs in the Premier Division that isn't full time. So like this is the first time in his life that he'll have probably been exposed to the, the sort of conditions he's 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 got around him in terms of sort of training facilities and time he can spend sort of honing it. Um, so those ones sometimes are are they these they're the ones that can really surprise you like you'll have a certain you'll have certain players who might have come home here and go back over who were who've been exposed to the best of a lot of things from the age of 15 16 17 and, and for whatever reason it didn't work out whereas sometimes you have these ones who who go over later and and they just take off to a completely different level yeah it's never an exact science it, it, it brings around to Jordan McInniff though going back to to Derry and he's saying how much he's looking forward to going back to his home club and again it's a guy who went over like you know, loads of fanfare about joining a big club like Arsenal and sometimes you got to come back and rebuild yeah and I mean he went to Shells earlier in the season and it didn't happen for him and like there's I I think Derry have sort of Derry's his hometown club I think they've taken a bit of a, a chance on him like in the sense that I can't imagine you know he's going to be earning massive money where he's going now I think it's more of a signing to see how it goes and it is the other side of the game you know and I suppose I don't know we're probably going to see f- fewer of these stories now um, just from a simple point of view that like the guys going to sort of Arsenal Manchester United whatever the bigger clubs like, they can't go until they're 18 mm. generally and so the volume of them will naturally shrink at that stage and it's shrinking because uh, of the nature of international yeah, academies now anyway yeah and, and the Brexit thing and um, well although like you see there was a kid from Derry Trent Coney Doherty who's gone at 16 because of uh, you know the, the territorial land of Northern Ireland without mm. going down that road it is something that can be used to the advantage of uh, certain high quality players in the region who, who do want to go there go thinking at 16 but I, it just feels like a lot of these guys like the like Jordan McAniff barely at, at one stage at Arsenal he didn't play for 12-18 months and like how how often do you hear that story? But again, like you just sometimes need a bit of luck and maybe going home back to his home environment around family, whatever it might be, it it might be the right fit for him just to get himself going because he was someone who would have been around that sort of generation uh, again of that Paris, you know, Jason Knight sort of. Um, that like, there's a very good crop of Ireland players born in the early 2000s, and he was one of them. Mm. Um, and obviously some are are soaring, others have had to sort of come home to get going again. But doesn't mean in three years' time they're not suddenly on the right side of the snakes and ladders equation. Yeah, Stephen Kenny's always quick to point out that kind of 2002, 2003 age range. Yeah, group of players. Oh, two. Like I mean, I mean, do you know what? Well, maybe in time, oh two in Irish football will not be remembered for Saipan it might be remembered for the year that the all these, date of all these players were born. This is it. It's like, this is a, when everyone else was distracted by this debate, like there was, there was these, like these babies bouncing around who were like, going to change, going to change the story eventually. Willow Callan, Dan McDonnell with you. Delighted to say that we've got Tim Vickery with us as well. Tim has been writing about Casemiro and his move from Real Madrid to Manchester United. Also writing about Gabriel Jesus, who's been lighting up the Premier League season so far. And we'll also chat about Anthony, the Brazilian winger who potentially could become a big money signing for Manchester United before the transfer window closes next week. Tim, how are you getting on? I'm very well. All the better for having the opportunity to speak to you. Great how are you stuff. doing, gentlemen? You all right? 
Yeah, I think you're all right, Dan, as well. Oh, we're, good. we're all good, yeah. Well, we're keeping an eye on the uh, TV with um, PSV and Rangers, but maybe to move across from Eindhoven to Amsterdam. Again, the rumours, Tim, are, are really swirling around at the moment that Anthony is now not looking to go back to play for Ajax again. He's been late to training. His agent put out that video on Instagram the other night where they were watching the Manchester United against Liverpool game, which was just stoking the fires a little bit more. Manchester United had been in with a bid. It was turned down by Ajax earlier in the window. But it would appear that United are determined to try and sign him now. Well, as soon as Ten Hag went there, I thought he's going to want to take Anthony with him. Um, because this is a very, very talented player, but it's also a player that Ten Hag has done wonderful things to develop. And he, he came across from Sao Paulo really as a as a raw talent. And, and Ten Hag has helped develop him into a footballer, into uh, a winger who can play either flank, very left-footed, but can play either flank. Uh, whose decision-making has come on in leaps and bounds and can also get back and put in a shift as well. So as soon as Ten Hag took the the United job, I was thinking, I think he'll he'll want to take Anthony with him. Now, he's already taken, of course, one player from Ajax with him, Lissandro Martinez. And maybe United's problem here is that they spent so much on Lissandro Martinez that they haven't given themselves much room to negotiate. Because when you spent, was it 60 million on one player and you're going back to the same club to get certain what a younger, more glamorous player, you can hardly plead poverty, can you? <laughs> so Ajax are thinking, and quite within their rights, well, if they spent 60 million on this one, they're going to have to spend considerably more on Anthony. So uh, we'll have to wait to see how this game of transfer window poker um, develops. Um, But no, it doesn't surprise me at all that United are interested. I think you can add to that dynamic too that United have just spent €82 million on Casemiro (laughs) to bring him in from Real Madrid as well. So Ajax know that money's available. They're probably not going to sign Frankie de Jong. So therefore that money is probably burning a hole in their pocket. And Anthony is now their number one target between now and next Thursday. Is he though, Tim, given the improvement under Ten Hag so far... Is he worth £80 million plus, though? It's a huge price tag. Well, if Lissandro Martinez is worth 60 Anthony is worth 80 You know, I, I don't know how else to do your valuations uh, with a pile of money in one corner and a human being in the other. I don't know how else to do your, your, your valuations if it's not comparative. And, you know, if, as I say, if Lissandro is worth 60 then Anthony is, is, is worth 80 So uh, maybe, and I, I am of the opinion, and Lissandro Martinez is a player that I used to watch in Argentina for Defensa e Justicia. Like him very much, very constructive, lovely left foot. But I never imagined that he'd be a Premier League defender at that amount of money. But if, as I say, if you spent that amount of money on him, then don't try and get Anthony on the cheap. Sandra Martinez had a very good game for Manchester United on Monday against Liverpool. I think he's already affectionately now been known as the butcher of Manchester after the performance that he put in. Have you been surprised by the performance that he put in during the week or was this what you were expecting when he made the move? Well, I think he uh, he must have breathed a huge sigh of relief with the suspension of Darwin Nunez because I think he would have been in, a, in for a much, much harder 90 minutes had Darwin Nunez played. Uh, and th- this is going to be the test. You know, Brentford looked at him, targeted him. Other teams are going to be doing the same thing. Um, it-, it was great to see 
him respond to the challenge against Liverpool. It's great to see that he's got defensive grit. Really, he's been signed, I think, for his ability to build from the back. We've seen far, far less of that. But he is he is going to have to really show his character week after week after week because he is going to be facing sides who'll come at him with much more physical presence than Liverpool did in the absence of Darwin Nunez. Tim, Casemiro and Fred have been paired together as a double pivot at times for Brazil and they've played together. Would your expectation be, now Fred was dropped after the Brentford game for the Liverpool match, but could well come back in now when Casemiro comes into the team. Would you expect that Manchester United are going to pair them together like they have been internationally? Yeah, well, they are the first choice pair for Brazil and they work very, very well together. Um, some of the, the pundits who, who have been so relentless in their criticism of Fred for United perhaps haven't been watching him for Brazil because uh, he's he's been in very in, in fine form and there's more to his game I think than United have United fans have seen in part because of the problems of the club I know there's a feeling in in the uh, in the camp in Brazil amongst the Brazil coaching staff that Fred is a little bit too nice for his own good and uh, he will do whatever he's asked to do there's not a lot of ego there and he's one of those players who when they have taken him out certainly last season they, they certainly weren't the better for it. And I think he, he, he played a significant role in helping them secure that win on Monday when he came on because that dynamism to drive the, the, the team higher up the field when Liverpool were, were, were really on the chase. The Fred who plays for Brazil uses that lung power much, much more running forward, committing opposing defenders, playing passes. He's never going to be a world beater. He's never going to be the most creative force in the last uh, third of the field. But he's got much more, more, more to offer in this sense than, than, than United fans uh, may, have, uh, may, may have seen from him. Now Casemiro has been signed, and you'd imagine that Casemiro will certainly want to play with Fregi. That's an established combination. And it's a combination where the division of labour is absolutely clear. Casemiro is going to hold. Fred is going to be what we call over here the second man in midfield. So, yes, he's going to, he's going to, he, he, can, uh, he can bomb forward, but he's got to come back as well. He's got to use that lung power up and back, up and back, up and back. They complement each other quite well in that respect because Casemiro is not the most mobile. He's not the quickest. And Fred supplies the lung power, the dynamism and the mobility. So it would certainly be a surprise to me if Ten Hag doesn't use them in that way as, uh, as his first choice midfield combination. Casemiro was a very different profile of player to what Manchester United seemed to be looking to sign when they were heavily interested in Frankie de Jong and then they looked at Adrian Rabiot who were more kind of progressive passers than uh, Casemiro. But maybe this comes to a point that there was a very good player who comes available and Manchester United felt they couldn't miss the opportunity to sign a five-time European Cup winner. That's possibly true. I've got no inside track on this, although I would think it's probably truer that it's United who've looked for him rather than him becoming available. Because uh, certainly my expectation, five minutes before this, news, this, this move became a possibility, Casemiro wasn't looking to get away from Real Madrid and wasn't imagining himself getting away from Real Madrid. My interpretation here is what's happened is that United have hit the panic button. Uh, and uh, they've ended up signing a player who certainly wasn't in their original plans. Now, that can be read in a good way and a bad way. The bad way is that just two games in, because this, this happened before the Liverpool match, 
just two games in. The long term, the idea of the high pressing team, that's already been negotiated because that's not Casemiro's game. He's not mobile enough for that, and he'll 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 play deeper. So that's the bad news. It's only taken two games to blow the ship off course. The good news is that if you want someone to come in and just balance out the side, then you couldn't have done much better, both with the technical virtues he has in his own quiet way. There's an aura around Casemiro. There's wonderful spatial awareness. There's wonderful ability to see the gaps, plug the gaps. Also, he moves the ball, transfers the ball quickly, efficiently to the more talented players ahead of him. And in his own quiet way, he's a leader. Um, Brazil's coach refers to Casemiro as, as his competitive leader. Now, that's exactly the type of personality that United need in the, in the, in the situation that they currently find themselves. So that's, you know, that, that's the good news. You're bringing someone, I, I think that the Dutchman has seen that he needed someone to, to, to put his finger in the dike. And Casemiro is that, is that figure. But it does mean that for the time being, at least, the idea of the dynamic high-pressing side has been negotiated. You've been writing about Gabriel Jesus too, who has had a remarkable start to life at Arsenal. Mm. He seems freed up by the move from Manchester City. Further down the track, though, this might be good news for Brazil, that Gabriel Jesus may well become a major option for the number nine position coming into the World Cup. Yes, and uh, this is where it all started going wrong for Gabriel Jesus. Let's, uh, Let's go back five years, five and a half years, to when he joins City, start of 2017. At that point... He is Brazil's centre-forward, and he looks like being the solution to what is a surprisingly long-running problem that Brazil has had in the centre-forward position. Arrives at City, hits the ground running, at centre-forward, even puts Aguero on the bench. And at that point, where's he going to go? No, he seems to have no ceiling. And the, the original Ronaldo was saying, this lad reminds me of the young me. It's taken a different route, hasn't it? And not all, it, it, it's never been a bad career, but it hasn't been as good as 2017 led us to believe. And this all roads here lead to the trauma of the last World Cup. Uh, it, it's difficult to explain to Premier League fans just how important the World Cup is to a young Brazilian. You know, 2014, he's, he's a little-known youth footballer. He's out there with his mates painting the streets in preparation for the World Cup. You know, street murals and bunting and so on. The entire society mobilizes. This is the dream that four years later, he's got a chance to live out that dream as Brazil's centre forward. And he has a mare. You know, uh, Brazil's much maligned centre forwards have scored goals in World Cups. He didn't manage one in an attractive attacking side. Uh, And uh, the coach felt that he should have made a change in that position earlier. So that was a trauma for him. I think it's still a trauma for him. And it it explains uh, much of what's happened subsequently. Um, He, after that, he kind of ran away from the idea of being a number nine. And here he is a little bit a victim of of his own versatility because he he can operate all the way across the attacking line. But the key question, I think, is less the position that he's playing and more the confidence that he's playing it with because that confidence just drained away. Uh, And recently he went and he scored for Brazil in June in stoppage time of a friendly against South Korea when the score was already 4-1. It's a lovely goal, but it's not the most important of goals. You've got to go back to his previous goal for Brazil. He went 19 games without scoring a goal. 
You know, 19 games and starting most of them. And he's too good a player for that. But he was carrying that trauma of, of, of 2019. So the vital thing that Arsenal have done for him, and remember, Arteta knows him from City, knows what he's capable of. Edu knows him from Brazil, knows what he's capable of. They've sat down and they've given him confidence. And he's up for the challenge. And uh, you mentioned the World Cup there, Will, and the World Cup is vital for him because the place where he can really bury that trauma of 2018 is Qatar 2022. Uh, And uh, certainly until the squads were expanded to 26, he was sweating a little bit. Brazil have lots and lots of attacking options. I think he's, he's, he's now, even before the season started, I think he's all right to get in the squad. And he's showing now that he's an option to play in the, in, the, in the starting lineup as well. It's been a fabulous, fabulous start to the season. You, you watch him playing for Arsenal at the moment and you can't believe it's the same player who went 19 games for Brazil without scoring a goal. Yeah, like, Tim, I'm just curious. It's just the, the discussion has inevitably turned to the World Cup just with a couple of those subjects that we've discussed there. Like how, at this stage, is it sort, is it sort of cranking up in Brazil in terms of the discourse around the World Cup? Like, I'm thinking of little things like Alisson had a little injury there at the start of the season, uh, Neymar and sort of the various travails at PSG and stuff. Is this something that's, because like, it, it's potentially quite an exciting team, but is, is everything that's happening in European football now being viewed through the prism of the World Cup in some way, even players' movements, things that are happening, you know, it's all in the context of what's coming and what it means to a Brazilian, as you've said. Absolutely correct. And all these moves are, see, are being seen from that prism. So, Gabriel Jesus, there's no doubt about it. I and mean, he moved because of the World Cup. Richarlison moved despite the World Cup because Richarlison has got himself in a place where, you know, what worked well for Tottenham the back end of last season, the front three. So, you know, he's, he's, he's got a real job to get in the side. But that's Richarlison. He's confident. He'll back himself in, in any situation. I think with Casemiro, ideally, in a perfect world, this offer would have come in January. But it, it was now or never. You know, we're, we're back to the panic, you know, put, get someone to put his finger in the dike. So in a perfect world, he wouldn't have rocked the boat until January. But that, that's not the way it played out. So, yeah, indeed, everything is being seen through the prism of the World Cup. And, and one of the things that they're most excited about in Brazil is Neymar because he's, he, he looks sharp, he looks focused. And also, if, if, if you look at his, his recent club record, the kind of injury problems have tended to happen after Christmas. You know, he's tended to be in his best form before Christmas. So th- th- there's a real hope that, in the, the competition that will define his legacy as an international player, there's a real hope that he's going to be uh, somewhere very, very close to his best. We'll be keeping a close eye on the Salicare between now and the World Cup in Qatar. Tim, a pleasure as always. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Rangers have joined Celtic in qualifying for the group stages of the Champions League. They have won in Eindhoven by one goal to nil on the night. 3-2 on aggregate, so they qualify for the group stages for the first time in seven years. The other games in the Champions League currently, uh, Border Glimt have pulled back a goal very late on against Dinamo Zagreb, so that game looks set to go to extra time. And FC Copenhagen lead by two goals to one on aggregate, but nil-nil on the night away to Trabzon Spore. So that should be the Danish champions also into Friday's draw for the group stages of the Champions League. 
League. Dan McDonald is still here alongside me and Evan Ferguson has got his first goal for Brian. Yeah, first goal in English football in injury time. Um, 3-0 win against Forest Green. He kept, they kept him on for 90 minutes. So Andrew Moran, ex-Bray, came on in the second half as well and James Farlong, ex-Shamrock Rovers, made his debut for Brighton. So not just one Irish story but three. But um, yeah, Evan Ferguson... I think people have been told before to remember the name. Um, but this is one of these things where his first goal in English football is one of those landmark moments that hopefully we might be referencing in the in the future years as a sort of a, when was his first goal? Mm. Um, EFL, EFL Cup wins a night where all the glamour is. This is. I'm telling you, this is where the great stories begin. Yeah, We were talking in the news round earlier about the passing of Des Casey as well. And subsequently, Oriel Park for the rest of this season, Dan, is now going to be known as Casey's Field. Yeah, and there's there's a historical sort of element to that because the Casey family, um, they you know they they the land that Oriel Park sits on, like it was Casey's field. It, it goes back to like 1936, um, when the the Casey family, because his dad was also a, a football administrator and, um, you know had, had at a national and local level, um, and and you know, there's a sort of a great history and tradition there. So it's 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 a nice gesture for them to do that, um. But yeah, I mean, Des Casey just like a, a sort of a towering figure, really, uh, in 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 the history of of Irish football and, and broader probably football administration. Um, some people would tell you like someone else was uh, would would think maybe that someone else was the first Irishman to be on the UEFA executive committee mm-hmm. um, when they were greeted with I think a round of applause and all the employees in Abbottstown had to come out and welcome them back to the building. But uh, as Casey had done that before, he'd been the vice president of UEFA. Um, he was a really strong. I mean, it probably the headline thing in a lot of places is that he was the one who was involved in the appointment of Jack Charlton, and and naturally, I mean, that is in itself. I think there was different views on on who should go there, and the process was a little bit mad in a way. But uh, if you people look at reading in the years, they'll see uh, Jack Charlton arriving into Dublin, and there's a man by his side, and that's Des Casey, a younger Des Casey. Um, who was involved in that but then then went on to sort of have various positions at UEFA he was the chair of the youth committee so again if you see Brian Kerr lifting or Brian Kerr's players lifting um, the the trophies in 1998 I think there was the one in Scotland you'll see Des Casey involved in presenting that as well too but I mean he was someone who who stepped away um, from administration in 2002 um, because um, although he would have qualified potentially for an exemption, he was a big believer in um, a retirement rule that him and the late Tony O'Neill, UCD figure, who um, another person who sort of sadly missed in the context of what happened in the years that followed, they were adamant that uh, young blood should come in and you know the administrative corridor should be refreshed with new blood. And of course, Tony O'Neill passed away. Des stepped away in 2002 very honourably and, you know, I suppose dishonour came in eventually um, and Des would have been quite critical of that he would have been critical of Seth Blatter in the past too um, Sounds but like a he good was taste. yes good taste uh, was sidelined here at home uh, not treated the best pretty disgraceful really but um, he was on the right side of history and uh, was a, a powerful figure who will be I think remembered very fondly history will be very kind to him and may he rest in peace just time to tell you about what's coming up tomorrow on OTBAM Jerry Gilroy and Owen Sheehan on the show Matt Williams talking rugby Graham Hunter is going to be on about the Figo documentary which is out tomorrow Carl Denny on the latest instalment of You Had to Be There my thanks to all the team for their support across the show this evening uh, stay tuned because Tom Dunn is going to be up next and Richie will be back with you tomorrow evening 